0: Okay, if you would please turn to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 3. I'll be reading Acts, (coughs) chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that His Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brother's. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up His servant, sent Him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Blessed is the reading of God's holy word, gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, may every one of us in here have ears to hear this sermon that Peter preached. May you help me thus resay it. May you help me point out what is crucial in it. And thus we beg for the work of your Spirit and those of us who believe and those who do not yet, that you would drive the beauty of the truth of your Son all the deeper into our souls. To the glory of his name. Amen. All right. So I, I do start with some huge, massive assumptions that we, the Church of Jesus Christ, for a few thousand years have, and that's this. God has superintended, by His Spirit, oversaw Luke as He writes the history of the early church. He's in it. And thus, as He pens for us now the second evangelistic sermon that Peter preached, it seems that we would do well to pay close attention to the structure of it. What is crucial in what Peter says in preaching in order that sinners may be saved. As we talk to our parent or our children, family members workmates, colleagues, or just strangers. What are those necessary, crucial aspects of the gospel that need to be told to the sinner for their salvation? This is what we get in this sermon. So as we look at it, remember the context Peter and John were walking into the large, massive temple complex. There's outdoors, there's indoors, etc. But at the gate, Jesus had just used them in an extraordinary way to heal a man who had never walked since he was born. Pick up in verse 9 for a moment. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement in what had happened to him. And while he, that man, clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Now, there are thousands of fellow Jews at this point. We're going to see that probably 2,000 get saved this day. So what we will see in this sermon that Peter preaches are these three major parts that are necessary in the gospel. Number one, exalt the Lord Jesus. Don't be ambiguous about Him and what He has done. It is crucial that Christ Jesus be exalted. Secondly, it is the clarity of the confrontation of the person, your loved one, your friend, the stranger, of their sin and the danger of the impending judgment that is to come which leads to the third part of the good news of the gospel. And that is then, in that context, the offer of God's mercy through Christ to those who repent and believe. That's what we're going to see. So, first, what Peter's doing in this sermon, and we can take it as a model, he models for us that we must lift up, to exalt the Lord Jesus by being clear about who He is and what He has done. If we're not clear about who Jesus is and what He has done, we have not proclaimed the gospel. If people were just left thinking Jesus was a great religious teacher with a lot of good moral ditties and the whole message has been gutted of its saving truth when you get clear with people on who Jesus is there's a line drawn in the sand that separates the human race between those who toy with religion and those who walk with the resurrected ascended lord Jesus. The starting place in this sermon that Peter preached for exalting Jesus was first to deflect all glory away from himself. He was just used in a miraculous way by Jesus. And this is how he begins his sermon. Verse 12. Men of Israel, Why do you wonder at this healing of the man? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or our own piety or holiness we have made him walk? Don't look at me, is his point. It's Jesus, it's his name that has healed the man. And then that's what leads Peter into telling... Remember, he's a Jew. All the apostles and the early Christians, there's there's 3,000 of them at this point at least, they're all religious Jews. And he is preaching to religious Jews. That's who he is evangelizing. And he drives home... The point in this sermon, because they have context, they have their Bible, the Old Testament, the stuff he's going to say they're all very familiar with when he says Jesus is that, Jesus is this, and Jesus is the other thing. Of these numerous titles now, from the Old Testament that Peter gives and attributes to Jesus, whom they killed, all of them can be summed up in the phrase that he uses, the name of Jesus. So remember at the gate, he looks at the man and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then in verse 16 now, in the sermon, he explains it. And his name, that is, Jesus' name, by faith in his name, that's what's healed this man. Because the name of Jesus, it stands for everything that that historical figure is in reality. That's the point. Jesus is English. Spanish? Spelled the same way you would pronounce it, Jesus. It comes in the New Testament, which is written in Greek. The word is Eesu. We translate it Jesus. But that's Greek. These are Jews. They have a Hebrew Bible. They're speaking Aramaic, another Semitic language. It translates, that is, Eesu in Greek translates, the Hebrew, Yeshua. Yeshua. Joshua, Moses' servant. Yeshua means Yahweh saves. The angel comes to Joseph and says, I want you to name the baby that is in Mary's womb, Yeshua. Jesus, and why? The angel says, because He will save His people from their sins. His name is Jesus. Now, you gotta listen carefully. In one sense, it's not accurate to say, get that, just in one sense, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. What I mean is this, because the name Jesus is most particularly attached to His incarnation. To the eternal Son of God taking to His person human nature. In other words, Jesus is the name that is given to Him when He becomes truly human in Mary's womb. The name of Jesus. And then, Peter refers to Jesus in this sermon as the servant. The servant of the Lord. He's speaking to Jews. They know the prophecies. They know the prophets. They know the law. Look at verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. God glorified Jesus and this is how he says it in the context, the one you killed. Jesus was God's special servant. This is recalling the suffering servant of Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, who would come into the world and would be a substitutionary sacrifice for sins as it was God's pleasure to crush Him. This is the servant language. He says Jesus is that servant. God has glorified him. Jesus came to serve by fully submitting to God's will and going to the cross. And then Peter goes further and he calls this bloodied crucified executed by the state of Rome man, he calls him the holy and the righteous one. Look at verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. He says the human being, the one named Jesus from that little out-of-the-way, nowhere town of Nazareth was the only perfectly holy and sinless man who ever lived. He was the only man who could be a sin substitute for others. One reason is because He had no sin of His own to be punished for, to pay for. He was holy. As only the Creator, God, is holy and righteous. He's the Holy One. Remember during His earthly ministry, when you read the Gospels in the spirit realm, evil spirits recognized who the Son of Mary really was. We know who you are. The Holy One of God. And then Peter makes the stunning declaration that this preacher from this nowhere town of Nazareth whom you killed is none other than the author of life itself. Verse 14 and 15 again. But you denied the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. And the word translated author, it's, it's a good translation. It means something like the originator of the originator of life. Nothing physical or non-physical that has been created was created apart from the person of Jesus from Nazareth. The one who was conceived in Mary's womb and was slaughtered our sins on a Roman cross. That's what Peter says. You killed the very author of life. Peter was not hyperbolic there. He wasn't over speaking. He was sitting right there when Jesus said, and we have recorded in John 14 6, Jesus himself declared, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the The life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus made this other stunning statement in John 5. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. Talk about highly exalted. He is. The one I preach to you, Peter says, is the very author of life itself. And then Peter clearly refers to him now as the Christ. Again, English Christ comes from the Greek New Testament. The Greek word Christos which means the Anointed One. It's talked about in the Hebrew Scriptures. So Christos in Greek, it's a translation of the Hebrew Mashiach, or we translate that Messiah. He's he's the Anointed One. It's a title. So in this sermon, Peter says in verse 18, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his messiah his christ would suffer he has thus fulfilled and in verse 20 he goes on and that he god may send the messiah of the christ appointed to you that is jesus So this term Messiah, this term Christ is referring to the numerous Old Testament passages and prophecies that God would one day send the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of David, to be anointed and to sit on his throne and reign forever. And so to all of those thousands of fellow Jews before him, Peter is declaring, Jesus is the promised one. He is the servant of Isaiah. He's the very holy one himself. The very author of life. He is the Messiah. And not only that, it's as if he goes on to say, y'all remember the prophet whom Moses said would come? Of course you do. We all learned it in Saturday school. It is embedded in our upbringing. It's central to our religion. Jesus is the prophet. Verse 22. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses, from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Okay, just for a moment, if you either turn or listen, I want to just turn back because this is embedded in all of these listeners. Just like for you, raised in a Christian church, the word Christ is embedded in you, the second coming, terms like that. So is this term, the prophet like the term messiah we get he's getting this from Deuteronomy 18:15 to 19 that they know by heart and so when we turn to the book of Moses there Deuteronomy 18 this is what we read Moses is talking to the people the lord your god will raise up for you A prophet like me, from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. And Moses goes on, he says, look, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said... Remember how the fear, please Moses, we don't want to hear straight from God anymore. You said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, Moses, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him." The prophet. So when you read the Gospels, the Jews that go to John the Baptist, for instance, what are you doing? Why are you baptizing? Are you Elijah? John says, no. Are you the Christ? No, I'm not. They say this, are you the prophet? No. And then he says, why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet? And then later Jesus feeds thousands of people with a few fish and loaves. And we read this, When the people saw the sign that He had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Or later, we read this, When they heard these words of Jesus, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. That's what they're referring to. The one Moses foretold. Peter says Jesus is the prophet. and So Peter glorifies and he exalts Jesus in this sermon simply by being truthful about who he actually is. My fellow Jews, Jesus, the one you killed about two months ago, is the central figure to which All of the scripture has been pointing. This is his evangelistic sermon. Let let, let, let Peter end it. Just read from verse 24 on. All the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him, they also proclaimed these days. What's happening right here with the crucified Jesus, whom we are declaring God has raised from the dead and ascended. They talked about these days. You were the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers saying to Abraham and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God having raised up his servant Jesus sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. That's Who Jesus is. So when we unfold the gospel to loved ones, to friends, to colleagues, we must keep in mind they have to see who Jesus actually is. The claims of Jesus himself and the testimonies of his apostles are absolutely earth-shaking. You can't be on the fence. The guy is a nut. Or he is whom he claimed to be. He was resurrected from the dead and glorified Or these men who give us the New Testament are all liars. They must at least grasp that aspect of the gospel. There is no gospel without declaring clearly who Jesus, that historical figure, actually is. That's part of the exaltation of Christ in preaching. Now, you've all heard the saying in our day and age, what would Jesus do? W-W-J-D, right? Okay. That's not the gospel. But what is central to the gospel is W-D-J-D. What did Jesus do? do and Peter in this sermon makes it clear Jesus died he was killed he was raised from the dead and then he 40 days later ascended to heaven and he will come back in order to fulfill all these Old Testament promises of the everlasting eternal kingdom in the resurrection So, even though his audience was responsible for killing him, Peter makes it clear, he goes on to say, the Scriptures, the Scriptures foretold this. That the Christ would suffer. Indeed, He would lay down His life willingly to save many. In verse 18, Peter says, But what God foretold by the mouth of, of all the prophets in the Hebrew Scripture that what? What did he foretell? That his Christ, his Messiah, would suffer. He thus fulfilled. So passages like Isaiah chapter 53, written 700 years before this. Or Luke lets us know in the Gospel of Luke After Jesus' resurrection, talking to disciples, we read this. Jesus says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into His glory? Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And He said to them, Thus it is written, That the Messiah should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. His death, his being killed on the cross is central to Christianity. It's central to the preaching of the gospel. And yes, later the Apostle Paul made it clear, as you are faithful to preach Christ crucified, it will be utter foolishness to those who are perishing. But it will be the very power of God and wisdom of God to those who are being saved. The cross of Christ smashes all of our human pride. It drives home the point that we are not just basically pretty good people who need a little religious boost from God in order to get to heaven. If that were true, Christ died needlessly. We are lost sinners. It's the way we come into this world. It's the way I came into this world. It's the way my children have come into this world. We are alienated from God and unable to do anything to save ourselves. If Christ had not died for us as a substitute bearing God's justice against our sins, we will all be eternally Lost. And essential to this gospel is the fact not just of His death, but of the resurrection. Not resuscitation back to live a few more years and die. Of human immortality. Same body that was killed, raised from the dead. Verse 15, And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this... We here are all witnesses. We ate with Him. We talked with Him. We were taught by Him for over a month and a half post-resurrection. And it was not only clear in this Gospel presentation of Jesus' death and His resurrection, but also then, where is He? They watched Him ascend to the Father into the other realm where he will remain until it's time for the restoration of all things. Verse 21, this Christ, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets Long ago. So, Peter models for us that we must first exalt Jesus. Who is he? And what did he accomplish in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension? And that he's coming back. Then there's the second necessary aspect of the Gospel and it's this, we must be clear with the loved one, the crowd, the friend about their sin, about their guilt before the Holy God in the danger of the coming Future judgment. The understatement of the year from this pulpit would be Peter was not concerned about hurting people's feelings with the truth this day. He's so straightforward and clear, it makes me blush. Let's pick up verse 13. He's preaching to thousands of fellow Jews. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, the Roman governor. When he, Pilate, had decided to release Jesus. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One, and you asked for a murderer, Barabbas, to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. (laughs) Peter, that is not how to win friends and influence people to your side. To which he might say, maybe not. But it's true. And the gospel is all about the most important few truths in all of existence. And so Peter nailed them for denouncing the Messiah, the very author of life and delivering him up to death when Pilate was more than willing to release him. He showed these religious Jews how they were opposed to God himself. Let me just pause for a minute. We have 2,000 years of church history. This is the context. I'm when I say religious Jews, but there's 2,000 years of religious Christians to whom are in the same predicament in need of salvation in their religiosity. It's not particularly a Jewish problem as opposed to the rest of us problem, Gentile problem. But Peter makes it clear to them by showing them that they have opposed Yahweh, God, the God of Moses and the God of Abraham, by saying, The God of our fathers, even though you did this, He glorified His Son, His servant, Jesus. Yes, you denied and killed Him, but God raised Him from the dead. Peter confronts their sin nature, their blindness, their actions. That brings God's justice upon them. This is part of the gospel. We live now in a time. When classes are taught. In Bible college. And seminaries. Books are written. Seminars are given. Church growth gurus. Advocate. How to artfully. Tiptoe around people's sin. How to tiptoe around their actual predicament before their Creator that they stand guilty before the Holy God. Why? Because after all, you want them to come back next Sunday to church. So don't offend them. People come Because they want to get their self-esteem boosted. And it feels good. Do that. They'll return. They want to be affirmed. For wherever they're at in their life. And whatever lifestyle choices they make. Just affirm me. So just tell them. How God sees what a treasure. That they are, and that's why He loves them so much. And then ask them, would you receive Jesus? Do that, so that Jesus can now help you reach your full potential in life. That's not the gospel. If you omit sin and guilt and judgment then Jesus isn't a savior. And it's no gospel at all. Jesus did not die for pretty good middle-class American folk just so they could feel better about themselves and then maybe Jesus will be a good guru to help them have a successful life. He died for them because they are guilty Sinners who are under God's wrath of the future judgment. And Peter loves his fellow Jews this day in the temple too much to lie to them. He knows that for any of them to experience an eternity of happy tomorrows, they must grasp the depth of their sin and guilt. And so Peter sticks the knife in, and he twists it. He tells them that instead of asking for the prophet that Moses told us about, instead of asking for the Messiah, for the very Holy One Himself, for the very author of life, instead of asking for Him to be released, you said, kill Him! And release to us the scumbag Barabbas, the murderer. Peter, in essence, is saying to them, I know you all think you're pretty good folks, but that's the reality. And that's when the third, the third necessary component of the gospel comes in, the offer of God's grace and mercy to the repentant. See, Peter's strong indictment of his audience was not out of some superiority complex that he had. Oh, and may God's wrath come upon you, and that's all i got to say. Peter, around a fire one night, within the last two months, denied knowing the author of life. The Messiah. His friend. Jesus. Oh, he knows the depth of his guilt. Peter, by being so clear about the depth of their sin, he did it because it is the loving prerequisite to these merciful words in verses 19 to 21. Repent, therefore, and turn back so that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. If they would repent and turn to Christ, the Messiah, and away from their, even though they're religious, rebellion against God, then all their sins would be canceled out forever. Their guilt washed away. And not only that, Peter says, their future, it'll be filled with God's grace and goodness and mercy toward them forever. Jesus was killed in order to receive upon Himself the justice of God against the sins of every person who would repent and believe in Him. And that's true for every soul in this room. Not only will the sins be blotted out, he says, this will assure you Of an eternal future that is mind-boggling, incomprehensibly good. That God, as Peter says here, will establish the kingdom of Christ upon this earth one day. You see, when he uses the term there, The times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, he's referring to the future age to come. It will be an age of renewal and refreshment. Verse 20. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send... Didn't He already send Jesus? Yes... He's referring to the second coming of Christ. That He may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus will come back. We will finally see Him face to face as He raises from the dead to eternal glory with Him all who have loved His coming the first time. But until then, now, he says this, verse 21. Now, the present, he's ascended, and whom heaven must receive, Jesus, until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. It won't be a mere renewal of the Garden of Eden. It'll be so much better in the resurrection of the dead with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And So let me just close then and say where we started. There is nothing more important in all the world than this news about Jesus Christ. The gospel. And so when we. Who are believers then. Get opportunities to bear witness. To the truth of the Lord Jesus. Remember Peter's outline. Exalt the Lord Jesus. For who he actually is. And what he did in his death. And his resurrection from the dead. Secondly. Do not avoid. Avoid the truth of your loved one or friend or crowd. Do not avoid the truth of the person's sin, sinfulness. Sinful nature and alienation from God, even if they think they're okay. A person needs to feel in touch with the reality of the one true holy God and their sinfulness and guilt, which will bring a horrible outcome on the future judgment day. And that is the context for the third Crucial aspect of the good news of Jesus Christ. Pardon. Mercy. What what do I need to do? You can't do anything. You don't need to work for it. Not only that, it's impossible to. It is a free gift of eternal salvation from your guilt and sin because Christ came and became a human being in order to suffer and die. And thus take your sin and guilt out of the way. And so that His perfect human life would be attributed to you forever. The only thing you can do is reach out and say thank you. Another way to say it is believe. Believe this message and you will be saved. Everyone who repents and believes will be saved. Praise God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, like so many of us, we can look at our different times of life for me as a 19-year-old, having You invade my life with the overwhelmingness of my own sinfulness and lostness. And then reading the Bible, it was always there on the table, and seeing the exaltation and the beauty of Jesus. Watching him die in the pages of Scripture and rising from the dead. Oh, you are merciful. Do that, Father. Oh, for every soul, for every child, teenager, and the rest of us older people. Those of us who love you, may we cherish this gospel all the more, and may you give us opportunities, that we would lovingly take advantage of unfolding this gospel to those around us, to the glory of Jesus. Amen.